He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name's Kyle, and once again, be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munsons, want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. James, you're up first this week. Yeah, baseball's uh, started, football's ended. Um, life's good <laughs> in, in my household. We got the MLB playoffs. I won't talk trash to Warren's team because we're recording this in uh, a few days before we can even potentially uh, meet up with one another and we might be eliminated by then so I don't want to talk trash quite yet um, but the Jets are already eliminated so I got that going on for me. <laughs> Case. I am relieved that all Minnesota sports teams have been eliminated from the playoffs for this year because now I get to just sit back and enjoy the playoffs and I actually feel sorry for anybody who still has any teams in the playoffs because <laughs> Only one team can win it all, everybody. And now I don't have to worry about it. So I get to enjoy the sports for the rest of the year. Warren. Well, you know, hanging out, playing Nintendo. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Rigby got it. <laughs> I'm actually uh, training for the winter game or training for the summer games, Warren. <laughs> um, yeah, just uh, just living. Um, the last few, you know, the last few months, it felt like years. And I'm hoping this... I'm hoping October goes by very fast because we have a, a terrible election to have in this country. Um, so hopefully it's over with shortly. Yeah, wake me up when September ends. Exactly. You want me yeah. to call you in the morning or wake wake me up when October <laughs> wake me up when October ends. That's a good yeah. one. Wake me up go. on November fourth, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that debate was disturbing. Yeah, was, it was. <laughs> it was so bad. Made it twenty minutes before I quit. That was a that was a rough night, but at least we get to rebound a little bit here with uh, with another one of our guest Munsons, and I, we've got Laura Benicky with us. And yeah, Ooh. hey Laura, what's up, girl? So Laura is a film nerd who loves Star Wars, the Bears, sword fighting, <laughs> gardening, and animals. Um, she's also a SAG actor and stunt woman for a brief time. She worked in casting. Thanks. Nice. That nice. Uh, she is a proud mom of three strong and gorgeous daughters and works a day job at a big bank. AKA she is the devil. And that's okay. <laughs> we'll allow it. In addition, she is a fan of Kyle and this podcast. Welcome, Laura. There is no way she wrote that last line. She, she did. Yeah. I did not. He, he paid me. He gave me oh, some okay, money. Okay. That's, so fair, we... that's fair. In that order? <laughs> She's a big fan of Kyle Long. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. It's her bear's so, fan. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> If, I hey, get if, it. If Kyle's listening, I, I love the plug. So tell us a little bit about, uh, you just dropped the, your SAG actor and stunt woman. Tell us, our audience, a little bit about that. Well, I did acting um, and stunt work pretty much from um, the 80s through the early 2000s. I still do some work from time to time, but not as much as I used to. And you can check me out on my IMDb page. I did a lot of lead roles in independent films. Probably my favorite was an independent film called Dumb and Out that won some uh, awards at the Brantford Independent Film Festival. And uh, I was on The Untouchables, the TV show. I think my very first 
film I was on was Straight Talk, where I was in the background. Ancient Mysteries, I played the Virgin Mary and St. Bernadette, so that was hysterical. <laughs> I did watch that one. You did send that along. I was in Wag the Dog. I was in Friends. What? Oh, that's cool. A whole bunch of movies and TV shows and commercials. I did a commercial with Michael Jordan and Sweet. you know some Chicago commercials. And then the stunt work, my favorite stunt I did was on a, a women in prison film called, uh, well, when I shot it, it was called Sasori, but now it's called Scorpion's Revenge. There was a big prison escape scene, and I'm climbing a chain link fence, and I get shot, and I fall. I do pretty high fall with a squib that exploded, and the blood, fake blood went everywhere. It was awesome. Wicked. That's my kid's favorite thing <laughs> I did. They're always like, That's Mom, sweet. Mom, play that, you know? They love seeing me get shot. I don't know what that says, but. <laughs> and then, you know, I did a little bit of car work in um, The Untouchables for some B shots, but with the old the old 40s and 20s cars, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. That is so cool. That's about it. I mean, I did some casting, a little bit of casting in, in LA. I did um, a little bit of crew work and I did a little bit of theater. Yeah, that's about it. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah. Did we miss anything from the movie Buddy? No, but the strangest thing I will share is Renee Russo had a comfort blanket that she carried with her everywhere she went. So that was kind of interesting. Hmm. But um, no, it was it was a lot of fun. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm like super impressed. I was not aware we were amongst the initiated here, someone who's part of the part of the film crew. <laughs> Oh, wait, I'll throw out one more little tidbit. So Phantoms with Ben Affleck. Oh, my God, that was so much fun because I got to play a zombie. And Ben at the time was practicing, you know, like getting in character. And he would just start spitting and like he was trying to kind of do it method acting. It was it was so it was so awesome. It was a lot of fun. You were the bomb in Phantoms. I was just going to say that you're the bomb in Phantoms, yo. <laughs> Needless to say, Laura, whatever we say is going to pale in comparison to your perspective here. So, yeah, sorry try to keep up. Sorry for bringing down your IMDb score. <laughs> yeah. We just tanked your career, our band. <laughs> October 8th, we got some birthdays, Warren. Uh, we're going to start this one out with Chevy Chase from The Vacations, Caddyshack, Community Before Everyone Found Out He's an Asshole, and Hot, <laughs> Hot Tub Time Machine 2. How old is Chevy Chase? He's old. 71. Going 64. I'm going to go 80 on the dot, Warren. 75. 78. Craig's going 78. He's 77. So Hickman wow. just beneath with 75. Oh, man. Nice job. We were on 20-year difference. Next up, we've got Sigourney Weaver. Aliens franchise, Ghostbusters, awesome rolling cabin in the woods, spoiler, and (laughs) Exodus Gods and Kings. How old is Sigourney Weaver? 56. Allegedly a Fisi from Stanford. Sigourney? Yeah. 67. I'll go 68, Warren. Fuck, 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 fuck. 61. Uh, Let's do... I'll go high. Uh, 66. Sigourney Weaver is 71. Wow. She aged wow. really well. Yeah, good for her. It's probably all that James Cameron Avatar shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. For the alien in her. Yeah, yeah exactly. 
And last but not least, we got Matt Damon from the Oceans franchise, Born franchise, the the Departed, Euro Trip, and Downsizing. I'm so happy that you said Euro Trip. Thank you for that. Oh, 50, 51. Yeah, I was going to say 53. 48. I'll go 50, Warren. 50. 47. 50 on the dot. Really oh, yes. Seals it on that last Damn one. It. So those the are the big 5-0. birthdays for today, October 8th. You're not bad. All right, so we had five actors we threw onto the wheel. I'll tell you all, this was a popular one. Um, and by popular, I mean everybody wanted to be Bill Murray online. <laughs> so our Instagram was just Bill Murray, Wild Bill. He's the obvious choice here, but... Those, the other four actors on the wheel were Anne Hathaway, Anna Kendrick, Rachel Wise, and Gary Cole. And as you know by now, the wheel has spoken, and we're going to hit some Gary Cole. The person Warren said he doesn't want to cover, but he does. Yeah, We're going to lean into this one. A little heads up before we get into his career, start talking trivia and those things, is Gary Cole, of all the actors we've covered, Natasha Leone was the busiest actor we had covered with around 100 credits. Um, Gary Cole's at 179 acting credits. So if you are a huge Gary Cole fan and you're listening to this, spoiler, we're not going to mention every single role he's had in his career. Going to try to hit the highlights from a TV, movie, and also theater side. Just so you don't get too mad at us, feel free to tweet us and tell us we need to watch X, Y, and Z. We may. Who knows? If it's terrible, tell us and Warren will probably watch it. Yep. <laughs> There's a good chance. We're going to hit some Gary Cole in it as we normally do. We start with a little trivia from James. Laura, I know you are a fan of the show, but for those who are new to us, uh, I'm going to read three facts. Two of them are going to be true about Gary Cole, and one of them is going to be a lie. But it will, in fact, be a fact about a star of the Fast and the Furious franchise. The first fact is that he began acting with his first role being Snoopy in a high school production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. The second fact is he attended Illinois State University where he was classmates with fellow actors Laurie Metcalf and John Malkovich. And the third fact was six days ago, he released an EDM song titled Feels Like I Do on Kelly Clarkson's TV show. (laughs) What? You gave softball. I'm good here. <laughs> I just really wanted us to talk about the new song. That been <laughs> yeah, James, you read my mind because I already had my speech that uh, that whatever one I picked was clearly Vin Diesel, action star, and now music icon. I just feel like, you know, with kind of how we treat this trivia, we need to acknowledge that. Vin Diesel released a song in which he sings on it, and he sings the way he talks, which is terrible. <laughs> can, can we put a clip of it in here? Oh, we, we sure could. Absolutely. We'd probably get sued. No, <laughs> no it's okay. I welcome. The, the most popular we've ever been. Yo? Are you kidding me? We're going to be amplifying the Diesel brand. He'll be excited about it. So let me hear your guesses, guys. So what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say number three. (laughs) I'm going to say Vin Diesel played Snoopy. That would be fucking awesome. And he did it exactly like he talked. Yeah, I'm going to say number two's The Lie, and that was actually Bow Wow who went to the space (laughs) with uh, John John Malkovich and uh, Metcalf. Laurie Metcalf. 
No matter <laughs> what, no matter what you tell me, James, I cannot be convinced that Gal Gadot didn't release an EDM album eight minute, eight days ago. So, listen here, Charlie Brown. It's about family. <laughs> Have a Corona. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so uh, Gary Cole, back to the man of the hour. First acting role was in high school where he played Snoopy. He was actually really tricky to find uh, interesting facts about. I think he's a pretty reserved guy, despite you know mm-hmm. acting for the last 30 years and being in a ton of stuff. Anything I typed in for like search words, like the biggest thing that would pop up would be like, he was married for 25 years and got divorced. I was like, that's not interesting. I was like, that's like normal human stuff. Like, (laughs) who cares? So the other thing I was able to find is he went to college with a bunch of famous actors and actresses and they ended up forming the Steppenwolf Theater, which he got his kind of big breakthrough, which was Laurie Metcalf, John Malkovich, and Gary Sinise. But Gary Sinise did not go to Illinois State with them. That is really cool. And he said that before he started acting, he was a wannabe jock. He played football and basketball, and he said by the time he got to his sophomore year, he he figured out it wasn't going anywhere. So, get to acting. And it's worked out pretty well for him. Isn't that kind of what happens mm-hmm. to everybody? Is you're like, oh, dude, I love sports, and then you get your ass kicked, and you're like, I don't like sports. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try something else. Yeah, I'll just play a different sport. <laughs> the one thing, to your point, James, uh, Finding stuff about him is really difficult because you can't go anywhere without typing in Gary Cole and everything autofilling Gary Coleman. Yeah. They came out at the same time and like Gary, well, they didn't come out at the same time, but Gary Coleman like owned that era when he started acting. And so he was kind of in Gary Coleman's shadow from a name standpoint, name recognition. Yeah, it was a pretty big shadow. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Really tall shadow. I found his first acting review. From uh, your good man, Charlie Brown. And uh, it said, uh, there isn't enough good that can be said about the performance of these actors, not only as groups, but individuals. A standing ovation was given, but Gary dropped his dinner dish into the orchestra pit. This was overlooked because of his stupendous job acting out the part of the world's only human dog. So there you go. (laughs) But a star is born. Deep cuts. <laughs> oh, man. He did actually have a comment, though, in regards to the Gary Coleman thing when I was looking up him going on uh, auditions when he first started is he said a lot of casting, he'd walk in and they'd be super excited and then they'd be so upset when they realized it wasn't who they thought it was going to be. <laughs> oh, he's so, white? Oh, he's tall? What the fuck? Like, oh, my God. Gary Coleman is auditioning for this? It's going to be crazy. And he walks in like, wait, who is this guy? Oh, well. All right, Case, tell us a little bit about his snapshot in box office history. You know, he hasn't been associated with any real major box office films or, or, or huge budgeted films. The largest budgeted film I have on my spreadsheet of uh, 26 films is $72 million, and that's Talladega Nights, which, you know, easily covered the budget behind the weight of Will Ferrell's draw. That movie ended up bringing in $163 million. The thing that stands out from his box office snapshot is the overwhelming amount of domestic box office. Of the movies he's been in, 68.9% of the of the money has come from domestic and only 31% overseas, which really isn't, like when you're thinking about his body of work, that's not crazy to think about. But he is number one by a long shot, by 8% of any of the other 20 actors we've looked at. And so most of his films 
land well domestically and then you know they don't they're either not wildly released internationally or they just don't they just don't find an audience like a lot of the other actors you know we've looked at that have provided more supporting roles it's really tough to pin any sort of successes or failures on on Gary Cole but you know there certainly is some some tendencies there okay all right as we mentioned before Gary Cole's got a he's in a lot of stuff so before we touch on those just a Kind of take you from his high school days to 1985 or so. Um, we mentioned he was Snoopy. He was a stage actor in Chicago. That's where he's from. He's a big Bears fan. Boo. <laughs> yeah, you got to boo that. And then he joined the Steppenwolf Theater Company in 85. And, and Laura, I know you know a little bit about Steppenwolf and kind of what they teach their actors, right? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So um, I also wanted to call out that he was in the play True West. Oh, love True West. And he did that off-Broadway with Jim Belushi and Gary Sinise directed. Which character was he? Was he eating the toast or making the toast? (laughs) I don't remember. I'm sorry. We can look it up. And then when in Steppenwolf, I saw him in Love Letters uh, in 1990. I went there to see my teacher... Um, Alan Wilder, who taught me at Columbia College, and he was with Steppenwolf. He was amazing in Love Letters with Laurie Metcalf, and John Mahoney directed that. I would say, I mean, I'm just going to tell you from an actor's standpoint, Gary has a very Chicago theater actor vibe. You know, they teach you at Steppenwolf, and and my teacher, Alan, taught us to be very, very realistic. And you you were anti-music theater. You know, I mean, you could do music theater, but you would want to pull it pull it back as natural as you can be. And I noticed that in a lot of his roles, that he has uh, a lot of the Chicago little sidebars that he does to Chicago with Southside accents or gangster type characters or police police people. And, you know, he he's, and, and it's in that style that you see Laurie Metcalf or Malkovich or, you mm. know, Alan Wilder, some of these other Steppenwolf actors, Gary Sinise. They all t- tend to try to play those more realistic acting styles. It's awesome. That's super interesting. Kind of stuff that you get when you bring on great guests. You get this <laughs> this type of context when it comes to this. I love it. When you think about his his career, his first screen work is in 90, 1985. Uh, he's 30 years old when he starts working in the business. As James said, he's pretty private. You can't find a ton of like spicy stuff about his life. Based on what I could find, he's a pretty blue-collar guy up until that point, you know, Try to go to college, Illinois State, not some like super prestigious school. Dropped out at a certain point because he realized it was going to take him like eight years to graduate in this program. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do any of this. But all that brings him to 85 is his first role. He's in To Live and Die in L.A. He plays Man Chased by Richard Chance. So a really <laughs> massive role in that one. But that's okay. You know, he's getting he's getting work, getting a start. He's in a movie called Lucas, 86. Really, his his big first break was in the show Midnight Caller. He played Jack Nighthawk Killian, who was like a like a radio personality. And what I like pointing out about this is my opinion on Gary Cole personally is I think he has a he's a good voice actor, and the idea of him playing a radio personality fits his um, acting style pretty well. And so that show went for three seasons, was a pretty popular show at the time, and I think uh, launched him in some ways. Um, launched him straight into a TV movie called The Old Man in the Sea in 1990 that Craig and I both saw, and we have thoughts. The thing that stood out, because I watched this towards the end of the Gary Cole things I've watched, the, th- the thing that stood out was he really overacted a bunch and was like very dramatic with his physical mannerisms. And it, it almost reminded me of how like 
like overexpressive people were in silent films when they would use their body language. <laughs> it is a very slow paced movie. Technically, his first film role is in the line of fire playing a character named Bill Watts. But as if you listen to the Rene Russo episode, we covered that one last time. So we're not going to replicate a movie a review, even though most of us enjoy that film. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll continue and we'll get into what we're going to call his first feature film. And that's the Brady Bunch movie in 1995. And that is my review this time. Have you guys ever heard of the Brady Bunch? You know anything about them? Yeah, just a little. Just a little. (laughs) Is it about a family? (laughs) You know, it's about a man named Brady. (laughs) It was kind of like Zoom before Zoom is now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you know, like, pop culture has really captured that whole concept and just beat it to death. Let me start with this. The Brady Bunch, I watched a decent amount of Brady Bunch when I was a kid. I never liked the Brady Bunch much. I thought it was really corny and... Brady Bunch came around in what the seventies. So you used to watch the Brady Bunch, but you never saw Major League. (laughs) I don't know, man. (laughs) I watched it at my grandma's house. What do you want from me? (laughs) Get Granny on Major League. (laughs) (laughs) She's got to get me on Major League. She would have loved Dorn. (laughs) (laughs) My Granny, man, she was doing her thing. I will tell you this: when I was assigned the Brady Bunch movie, I dreaded watching this. I was pleasantly surprised. Because I, I didn't know that this movie is essentially a satire of itself and a satire of the Brady Bunch concept mm-hmm. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. That was refreshing. So if you haven't seen it and you're like, eh, the Brady Bunch, go watch it for that purpose. There's some good entertainment when it comes to that. So to kind of lay the land, it's got a 54 Metascore on IMDb, 6246 on Rotten Tomatoes. So there's a slight critic lean in terms of critics liking it more than audiences. I will say the movie... Is set in the 90s in suburbia, and the Brady Bunches are very much out of place. Larry Dittmeyer, who's played by Michael McKean, is their neighbor. He's working with his boss. He wants to build a massive like uh, mall in the area, and they really need the Bradys to sell their house. And so he's spending the whole time trying to convince them to sell and trying to convince the rest of the neighborhood that you know the Bradys are eventually going to sell so you guys can make your money and go off and retire wherever you need to. And clearly, the Bradys don't want to leave because they're stuck in naivete in their little worlds it's just like a series of awkward gags the one that i'll point out is they're getting carjacked by this guy and uh he's like it's a carjacking and he's and they're like yeah it's a car and he's like no man this is a carjacking get out he's like you need a jack we don't have a jack i'm sorry and so it's just a lot of that where they're just not up with the times of what's going on. The neighbor, so his wife, is this really horny housewife. And at one point, she's talking to Cindy and tells Cindy, if your dad ever needs someone to wrap his package for Christmas, <laughs> let me know. What? <laughs> just shit like that. Or just, great. She says that to a child? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Early on in the movie. <laughs> That kid would have gotten grounded for repeating that. <laughs> or Jack Noteworthy says about Marsha, she's harder to get into than a Pearl Jam concert. So, <laughs> And then he had the meat delivery, the meat delivery for Alan. <laughs> they sprinkle in a lot of the characters from the original Brady Bunch show in different characters in the movie, which is fun. The grandmother is played by um, Florence Henderson. It's better than I thought it was going to be. Um, he plays Mike Brady, the patriarch of the family. I mean, what is to say about his performance other than his job was to go and replicate Robert Reed as Mike Brady, and he does a decent job with it. I do know from doing some research that it took him a long time to get this part. He got the part through a connection from the show Midnight Caller through the casting side. 
he did the audition, didn't hear back for weeks until his wife was talking to the, the casting director. And she mentioned, I still hadn't hi- hired somebody yet. And eventually they brought him in. They had to see what he looked like, dressed like Mike Brady. Other than the fact you just have to go in and be him. You don't need to add anything new to the character. You just need to be able to sell Mike Brady to audiences. That's pretty much it. It's a funny movie if you go in liking the spoof side of uh, the Brady Bunch. That's the best I'll give you. I had no frame of reference for this because I didn't watch it at my grandma's house. (laughs) (laughs) You're a terrible grandmother. It would have been hilarious if he'd have gone in and played uh, Mike Brady like Reese Bobby. I would have watched that. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't snort these lucky charms. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun to watch the Brady family get dunked on by people in the 90s. I will say that. It's one of those movies that you feel guilty like laughing at but there are some parts that are just so ridiculous that you kind of can't help but laugh <laughs> rupaul plays the Ru- counselor RuPaul, yeah <laughs> and she's she's there with um jan. jan she's there with jan and jan's like i'm having some issues and rupaul's like are you pregnant like are you dealing with suicide she's like no i have these glasses i don't like and so it's like this total <laughs> locked like these 70s problems and 90s world she's like are you pregnant like we could figure this out I'm like no they've never seen that's not their thing so it's funny from that standpoint, but wouldn't call it a great movie by any stretch of the imagination. Would you watch it again? I would. I'd watch it again. There you go. I'd watch there it again. Go. The writing, they did pull all these little snippets from the original show. So if you did watch it, you're like, oh my gosh, that's where she gets hit with the football. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, that's the part where um, she wears the giant wig, you know. So they did try to recreate a lot of a lot of the episodes you remember. Well, that led into, in 96, the Very Brady sequel. I did not watch that one. I don't know if any of you did, but he did so well in the first Brady movie that they you know, cast him for that one and a Christmas movie several years later. And that led us to 97, where uh, he was Richard Sims in a gang-related Tupac's last movie. Gary Cole plays Shocker. He plays some sort of law enforcement. And uh, I think he plays FBI. Yep. And one of his partners is, is shot and murdered during a um, drug deal gone wrong with Belushi. I'm starting to pick up all these Gary Cole connections, right? Melkovich in Line of Fire, Belushi in, um, in Gang Related. That's where he got a lot of his early work. And that led us to his highest critic score in 98. And that's a simple plan. And Rigby's got this one. Yeah, this is a fun one. Simple Plan is a 1998 crime thriller uh, directed by Sam Raimi. Uh, it's not your typical Sam Raimi movie, though. No. As you'll as you'll become aware, Mm-mm. it's based off a novel of the same name in 1993. It takes place in small town Minnesota, and it follows two brothers, Hank and Jacob, uh, played by Bill Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton, who are tremendous in this movie, if I may say so. And their friend Lou, who's played by Brent Briscoe. One day, the three men are just kind of out for a walk in the woods, and they chase an animal through the woods, and they come upon a plane buried in the snow. When they investigate the plane, they find that the pilot is dead, and they find a bag full of money that contains $100 bills and it's over $4 million inside. Obviously, if you find if you find that much money just out in the middle of nowhere, the smart thing to do is to return it, which is what <laughs> Bill Paxton's character, Hank, he's sort of the smartest and the most practical character in the movie. Um, he says that's the best thing to do, but he is persuaded eventually by Jacob and Lou to keep the money or to at least stash it until the end of winter. By that point, the crime scene will be found, it'll be investigated, and they'll know whether or not the money is somebody's. And then if, they, if no one asks about the money, then they'll just keep it and act like nothing ever had, basically. 
So there is where you have the film's name, uh, A Simple Plan. That's where that comes from. As you can guess, when $4 million is involved, uh, it's basically anything but simple. Paranoia is a big theme in the movie. Mm-hmm. The main character, Hank, played by Paxson, like I said, he's constantly worried about being caught, being discovered. And eventually, it just kind of takes one step off the ladder and just keeps getting even worse. Uh, eventually, all hell breaks, breaks loose when Lou uh, wants the money sooner than they had agreed to. He's broke. He's drunk. Uh, he calls him one night, and he wants his money. And uh, it leads to some pretty pretty dark things. You know, the theme of the movie is what does it take to make good people do very very bad things? Um, and that's mm-hmm. what you see. That's what you see in the movie. Uh, eventually, the town's sheriff tells Hank that the FBI is now looking for the missing plane, and that's where we get to Gary Cole's character who is introduced as FBI agent Neil Baxter, who will be helping with the investigation. Without trying to give too much away about the plot, all I'll say is that Gary Cole's character is not who he seems um, when he's introduced. I'll just say that. For what Cole's character is asked to do, which is he's presented as a straight-laced FBI agent who turns out has an ulterior motive, Um, I think he plays it perfectly, and it was great casting on the film's part. I think with that being said, I think the casting for the whole movie was great. Mm-hmm. Not only are the acting performances solid, but uh, what I love about this movie is that it presents some very interesting sociological questions. Uh, like I said earlier, what does it take for good people to do very bad things? I think you can't really watch this movie without wondering, like, what would I do in this situation? Would I turn the money in? Would I keep it? Uh, would I tell my family? Would I not tell my family? What's unfortunate is that I don't really know a lot of people that have seen this. And so I am beyond thrilled to be able to discuss the movie um, in the hopes that after listening to the podcast, you'll go see it. Cole's role is, is small. You know, he's only in it the last 10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's, it's, it's a fantastic movie and, and, and it, highly, it definitely deserves its, its highest critic score, in my opinion. Kind of seems like a, a rough time. I mean, Gary Cole, Gary Coleman, A Simple Plan simple plan the band you know <laughs> and, and I, I really think that that'll probably like i heard this and i was like oh i'm a dick i'm addicted to you uh, <laughs> scott spiro i know you're the only person who unironically loves that band <laughs> so you will you will hear this and uh you know you'll probably go listen to simple plan <laughs> what you were saying in regards to like the moral dilemma i was watching it with the wifey first five minutes of the movie is when they come to the decision like are we going to report this four million dollars and i paused it and her and i like talked like what would you do how would you approach this what is the right thing to do and we were kind of talking through and we're like i don't know like you know you want to report the murder you know do they need all this money do you report all the money and take some of it and then it was literally five minutes after I played it again, and I realized how dumb his brother and brother's friend is. Yep. It took the moral dilemma completely out of it for me. I was like, no, you can't you can't commit a crime with these idiots. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, these guys are so stupid. Yep. Like, of course you're going to get arrested. So when they find the money, they agree that they won't tell their family. And the first thing that Hank does, drops the money on the on the kitchen table, and the wife, played by, um, by Bridget, Bridget Fonda, Fonda She's stunned and she's she almost feels less guilty about him finding yeah. money than he does. Mm-hmm. The only thing I would change about this movie 
is I would love to see it from Bridget Fonda's perspective because she's a sociopath by the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. Because she's the one like, yeah, you should do this. Yeah, kill him. Yeah, she's scared at first and then eventually the money just gets to her head and she's like, what if you did this instead? It's like super fascinating. This is a movie that I saw not when it came out, but I saw it probably 10 years ago, uh, just late on TV one night and I was hooked from the very beginning and I love I love everything about it. So this was a fun one to review for me. I thought Gary was good. I thought, you know, again, very reserved, straight character. You didn't get a lot of character depth for what it was. I thought he did a great job. But Billy Bob Thornton, man, that was just amazing. And and I don't want to give away spoilers, but his last request, you know, that scene was like insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's a hard one to watch for sure. And I believe he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that role, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Which is cool. This took place in Delano, Minnesota, which is uh, a town or two over from my hometown. So I've oh. driven through Delano, Minnesota an awful lot. And not once have I ever seen a uh, plane going down or Did... people with duffel bags full of money. Is this like Blair Witch Project in Maryland? You start going in the woods to find things you see in movies? No, but now you mentioned it, I might. For $4 million? Absolutely. You should go hiking. That's a good hike. D.B. Cooper really misses drop zone. D.B. Cooper, yeah, that was great. How do you guys not lose your fucking minds? That it was, that so was great. <laughs> it's so funny because didn't he drop over like fucking Oregon or something Oregon. like that? Yeah. Did you guys ever watch the movie Without a Paddle? <laughs> oh, it's one of my faves, man. I love Without a Paddle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do know that D.B. Cooper was a real person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rigby. I got to collect myself. That's fucking awesome. All right, Warren, that you're going to win so far. It's going to be hard to beat that. All right, rest in 98. So 98 is a cool year for him, I guess, from that standpoint. He's in I'll Be Home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas. He plays Jake's dad in a Disney movie. So just pointing out, he did some Disney movies along the way, too. We'll talk about another one here shortly. He played a NASA co-pilot, Ed Mitchell, in the uh, the miniseries From the Earth to the Moon, which I hadn't heard about before this. Tom Hanks produced, right? It was really cool. The episode I watched with him, I think it was pretty impressive acting on his part, but the, the whole show itself covering all basically all the different NASA trips to the moon and outer space. I think it was just a really cool um, show for the time over 20 years ago. But that takes us to 99. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, you know with, with our guests, they get a chance to pick a movie to review. And it just so happened that this particular cult classic did not fall in our categories. So it was pretty obvious we were going to need to cover it. And uh, Laura's got some cool connections to Office Space. So Office Space, oh my gosh. If you if you know someone who hasn't seen this, where have they been? This is like yes. his best role, I think. And just such an iconic movie. Yeah. And just written amazingly. I think Mike Judge did an amazing job writing this. But this is a, you know, a satire on corporate life and, you know, just just, I would say even all jobs, because, you know, they show Jennifer Aniston struggling as a waitress. And, you know, even even his neighbor, Peter's neighbor talks about, you know, his job. <laughs> so I think I think it's um. Fucking <laughs> Peter, man. <laughs> yes. Diedrich Bader. <laughs> it's just a great movie. And and of course, Gary plays, I think, again, his best character, Lumberg, Bill Lumberg who's very smarmy, and uh, he's the vice president, one of Peter's many bosses. He just plays him. First of all, I love his look. He looks like he's locked in the 80s, Wolf of Wall Street. 
you know, that mm-hmm. kind of, with, with almost some hairspray in his hair. He just comes across with that, the way he moves is very kind of slow and sloth-like. And the, the way he talks, it's just so, no emotional depth at all, right? None. Like, just very, like, checked out. He does such a good job of, like, micromanaging him and being such a jerk that it's it's amazing. And his monotone voice, how it's the slow, drawn-out, uh, yeah... I'm gonna need you to put that hey, cover sheet on there. Did you get the memo? You know, um, and okay. and just all all the characters. They had such amazing characters. You know, yeah. I couldn't get over the writing, and it's just blown up. And everybody's always quoting lines from it. So I'm not gonna go into the plot of the movie because I think you all know it. But um, yep. some of the favorite lines are. Um, uh, you're going to go to pound me in the ass prison. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm showing her my old face. Oh, and, uh, oh. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some of those. And, and of course, uh, the famous reports, you know, that with the cover page. So those are uh, pretty good. But it's such an amazing movie. And um, the Bobs come in to do the riff. And Peter gets hypnotized, so he doesn't really care anymore, and he does a great job, and then he succeeds. You know, he breaks up with his girlfriend, and in the end, he starts dating the Jennifer Aniston character. This is pretty amazing. One of the best comedies I've ever seen. And again, I think this is his best role. Timeless. I wanted to talk about this movie, too, just because I had a couple of weird uh, personal connections. So I, I did go to Columbia College in Chicago with... A J, and he, you know, plays Samir. And he, <laughs> how do you say his last I, name? Naga. Not gonna work here anymore. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> he, he seriously would dance like that all the time at school. He would always like just start breaking out. And he and I got paired up in stage combat because he's short and I'm short. And he literally would get that angry. Like when he was beating the printer, he would get that angry in sword fighting <laughs> class. So I have like that. And then in college, I worked at a Bennigan's and that, that, that was perfect. They really do get on your case about your, your flair, your 50 you know, pieces of flair. The Jews wear flair. <laughs> <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> yeah. And then I had the good fortune of working with Jennifer Aniston on Friends, and she was great in this. I thought she did a very good job. The set design I thought was amazing. They had IKEA lamps in there. Like every person I knew had an IKEA lamp at that time. <laughs> so it just was, it was perfect. It did uh, rank fifth on the 25th Great Comedies for Entertainment Weekly in uh, 2008. They did put that in there. Gary did say that he based his character on two different things. So it was partially based on the animation you know, that the writer and director created. But it was also partially based on a manager he had. He used to work at a shoe store in Schaumburg, Illinois, called Kinney's. And uh, his manager there was named Buck. <laughs> and he, he based half the role on him and half on the animated piece. That's hilarious. So I'm sure you guys have a lot more lot more to say on this. So I'll give you some room. So I love this movie. And I rewatched it. And I forgot how I essentially have it memorized at this point because I love it so much. But I forgot that this line was from this movie because I use it so many times. And it's when the hypnotist is asking him what work is like. He's like, well, every day is the worst day of my life. 
because it's a little <laughs> bit worse than the day before. It's like, so this is the worst day of your life? <laughs> you, every day you see me, it's the worst day of my life. And the hypnotist is like, is today the worst day of your life? He goes, yes. And he goes, whoa. <laughs> well, that's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> I remember when I first saw this movie, and it, it'll date me a little bit, but I was in middle school. I remember like some friends were like, you got to see this movie and we started watching it and they were laughing at all this stuff. And I was like, I don't, I don't get it. Like what's, what's so funny about (laughs) this? These these are miserable dicks. And then I remember not watching it until I graduated and I'd spent like six months working in an office building. And one day I was standing at the computer and I realized I've said this, I don't know how many times since. I'll be standing at the computer and some, or at the printer and something will happen and I'll just say PC load letter. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I finally got it and it started making so much sense. And uh, my nerd of a wife for her 16th birthday sent out TPS reports and had an office space theme, theme oh birthday God. party. That's <laughs> great. She goes, yeah, and they passed out cake and yeah, you're going to ha- go have and pass the <laughs> cake. The now Milton, why don't you... <laughs> Why don't we make sure everybody gets a piece? Yeah. <laughs> well, that that whole movie is based on like the the original show of Mike Judge was based on Milton's character, and they just turned him into a side character for the movie itself yeah. and focused on Ron Livingston. Good. I would have I would have hated that movie. It was strictly Milton. <laughs> so I do believe you have my stapler. I love the scene where the consultants are meeting with the dude who ends up getting into the car accident. And I quote that all the time when they just stop. Like they're asking everyone like real questions about their jobs and then it gets to him and they go, So what would you say you do, you do. You do here? <laughs> I've used that so many times. I talk to people so the engineers don't have to. <laughs> right? I'm a I have people, people skills, damn it! I have people skills, damn it! <laughs> Very good. It, it will stand for a long time. That's a timeless comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Because mm-hmm. corporate America will exist for a long time, and as long as you worked in that space or adjacent to that space, you will totally understand it. If you're listening to this now and you haven't seen it, fix your life and go yeah. uh, go watch it somewhere. We'll move on to uh, another movie that brings us a lot of joy in 2000, The Gift. He plays David Duncan, a prosecutor. Uh, that was I'm clearly being right? sarcastic. Yeah, 100%. Right, yeah, this movie uh, stinks. Yeah, it's just not. It's it's so dark, and the cast is amazing. And I'm assuming they were all really excited to do this because the movie was like super cheap to make to get this unbelievable cast, and like it was just like a grind to get through it. I don't I don't know if this makes sense, but it was a movie that made me feel like I was sweaty while watching it. Like that's how bored I was. I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. There's not really a deeper message to that, but the whole time was just like, Ugh. is this that Joel Edgerton movie? No, no, <laughs> that, no. that one rocked. <laughs> rock. <laughs> this is Kate Blanchett. And uh, no, I'm probably one of her. Yeah. One of her lesser, less successful. Also roles. a Sam Raimi movie though, right? Yep. I think they all, they've, all the actors like signed on to do it for cheap. It was like clearly like a passion project of some sort. This is what I'll, I'll say about this movie. We, as a podcast, are a big fan of the Harold and Kumar franchise. Once you've seen The Gift, it starts to connect the dots in some of the plot points in the Harold and Kumar side. Um, that's all I'll say on that front. <laughs> the key word is Katie Holmes, and that's, that's what we'll leave for you. Uh-huh. So after The Gift, he's in One Hour Photo as Bill Owens in 2002 which was one of Robin Williams' more dramatic roles. I liked One Hour Photo, and I liked Gary yeah. Cole and his role. 
Robin Williams plays a man who's quickly going insane and it's kind of like horror thriller and Gary Cole's his boss who's just like an aloof dude who works at manages him at like the photo development place and ends up having to like fire Robin Williams despite the fact that he doesn't realize that Robin Williams is going insane and I think he does it well because he he does play that office straight man really well right where you could understand him kind of being not aware of what's going on at his office because he's just like a normal guy and then also no two he's in another disney movie cadet kelly with uh, lizzie mcguire so oh two uh his lowest critic score is i spy and case has this and i know laura as well watched this and has all sorts of great things to say so prepare she doesn't kidding <laughs> i spy is a, a 2002 buddy action comedy starring owen wilson and eddie murphy directed by the aforementioned betty thomas it is loosely based on the 1960 TV show starring Bill Cosby and Robert Culp. Uh, Owen Wilson plays Alex Scott, who's partnered up with Eddie Murphy's character, Kelly Robinson. Kelly Robinson is a professional boxer who sets up a match in Budapest to help the Bureau of National Security to uh, get intel about an arms dealer while he's in a featured boxing match taking place in Budapest. Agent Scott, Alex Scott... Uh, Owen Wilson's character and Kelly Robinson. They're ultimately trying to recover a stolen jet fighter called the Switchblade, which can essentially become invisible. So from there, typical spy film with secret identities, agents switching sides, random plot twist, all that stuff. The big note I have on here is this is a very unremarkable film. It's not a terrible film, but it's not an overly engaging film. The whole film basically relies on uh, fans loving Eddie Murphy's fast-talking alpha male character, while on the other side, you counting on people also loving Owen Wilson's, you know, awkwardly charming, aw shocks vibe. Wow. <laughs> wow. You're pretty good. It's alpha male meets lovable loser trying to save the world. Gary Cole plays a character named Carlos, who is the epitome of a super agent. We see him for the first... 10 to 15 minutes of the movie, we see him for the last or 5 to 10 minutes of the movie. There is one really funny scene where they're divvying up spy gadgets and they're giving Owen Wilson some and then they're giving uh, Carlos, Gary Cole's character, some and they're giving Gary Cole's character like the coolest spy shit you have ever seen. And then <laughs> they're just giving Owen Wilson these like old, outdated, not even useful spy, like surveillance things that look like a VHS camera. (laughs) It's really funny. To highlight Carlos's super agent status, he doesn't really help to save the day at all. But at the end of the movie, he's given this parade that is, is Eddie Murphy has been fighting for. Like he wants to be so famous that they do, they give him a parade. Well, him and Owen Wilson saved the day. Spoiler alert. Sorry, Rigby. <laughs> they get, instead of giving the parade to Eddie Murphy and Owen Wilson, they give it to Carlos because he just happened to be at the right spot at the right time when the picture was taken. It's a very unremarkable film. It's a good film. Like, it, it's, it's watchable. If it came on, I wouldn't turn it off. But it's not a movie that I run around telling all my friends to go watch. I'd watch it. Laura? Again. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was like one of the worst movies I ever saw. Sorry. <laughs> but I, I, would, I would put this right below Tango and Cash. It's like that bad for me. <laughs> Which is ironic because that's high for me. Oh, <laughs> okay. I thought 
scary. I like that he, this was a stretch for him, right? He had like no facial hair. Yeah. He was like super tan. He was trying to do like an <laughs> ponytail. Yeah. He was trying to do like an Antonio Banderas character. Yeah. You know, and I, I thought it was a good stretch role for him. I don't know if I would have cast him in this, but I liked him kind of going against type. You know, that you're so used to seeing him as the, the tough policeman or, you know, so it was nice. I thought it was a nice change for him. But they were pretty good, um, pretty good special effects and action scenes. A lot of explosives. We love explosives. There you go. There you go. So between 2003, 2008, um, he's in he's in the first uh, Kim Possible movie. He plays a pretty uh, primary role in the Kim Possible universe as Kim Possible's dad. Um, and so he's in like two movies with Kim Possible. Uh, then he's in Win a Date with Tad Hamilton in 2004, plays a character named Henry Futch. So we see him leaning into the co- comedic side of his career, and then he really hits a home run in 2004's Dodgeball as Cotton Pepper's uh, co-star, I guess, uh, calling the Dodgeball tournament. It's so good in this movie. Yeah. yeah. Every, everything he says is perfect. He's very funny. I think him... And uh, Jason Bateman's characters are hysterical because they have a bunch of good one-liners. But like the rest of it, I guess, is funny if you're like a 16-year-old boy like I was when I watched it. Because I rewatched it, I was like, yeah, it's not, not as good as I remember it being. Rip Torn, still the funniest person in that whole movie, though. <laughs> yes. uh-huh. You heard Billie Jean King. Stop crying in the <laughs> <laughs> Gary Cole's probably his best line is at the end when he's like, "I've seen the pyramids of Giza. I've, I've, uh, I've been on the, uh, I've been to the, the Great, Great Wall of China. China. I've, I've even seen, seen the, the grown pyramids. man satisfy a camel." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so good. Then in 2005, we hit uh, the Ring Two. He plays a character named Martin. So venturing a little bit into the the horror category, and then in 2006, we see Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby. As Reese Bobby. Mm-hmm. Reese Bobby's pretty memorable character. Yeah, so, so fucking good. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, he was a professional driver and an amateur tattoo artist? <laughs> yes. That is correct. <laughs> nice job, Craig. <laughs> and a volunteer fireman. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves to smoke peyote. Yep. Ooh, gotta lay off the peyote. <laughs> I'm going to give him some extra points on my Munson meter for giving me the blueprint on how to get thrown out of Applebee's. <laughs> James, you mentioned that dodgeball hasn't aged really the way that you would prefer. I, I think Talladega Nights is the opposite for me. I think when I remember when I saw it, I I didn't think it was that funny, and now it's one of those movies that you know, even if it's on TBS or something, I find it hysterical. For some reason, I find it funnier now than I did in, in 2006 or seven when it came out. Ravi, that's exactly what I was going to say. I, I rewatched this and I thought it was funnier than the first time I saw it. Yeah. And they're only like a year or two apart. So that's why I was so shocked because I was nervous after watching Dodgeball going back to watch uh, Talladega Nights. I was like, no, am I about to ruin another movie that I loved? And I rewatched it and it's even funnier today. It's fantastic. He kills it as the delinquent father. He's fantastic in it. When he goes to pick up the tickets and it's like all the like really like (laughs) made for TV movie music. And then he just turns around and he's like, who needs tickets? Who needs tickets? <laughs> <laughs> I got two. T- teaching his son how to face the fear by putting him in a car with a live cougar. Who hasn't? Real simple, son. Cops are coming. There's a cute little <laughs> Colombian bam bam under the car. Time to be a man. Yeah. You got Time hair on your man. peaches or what? That was a good look for him, too. He had a good look in that one. I thought that was awesome. Definitely a scruffy, very scruffy look going on. <laughs> the funniest part of what, which was in the trailer, which which I knew the movie was going to be good, was when 
the Cougars on him and, and, um, and Gary Cole's like, Ricky, control your heart rate. And he's like, oh, I can't control my heart rate. I got a cougar on me. <laughs> <laughs> or his interactions with his grandkids. Yes. He's like, Those are my grandkids. Yeah. yeah. Not until I see a DNA test. And he, hands, he drinks. All he does is drink beer. And he hands him, hands him an empty can. He goes, you can get this. for You can get a nickel for that. And he goes, someone. The kid goes, someone didn't love you when you were a child. And he goes, you're probably right there, grandson. <laughs> Would you go fetch me another? Um, he tells her to dig a hole. Yeah, she dig a hole. I'm gonna go get another beer. Just, just, just so many great one-liners. <laughs> this is when his career starts to fire up from that standpoint because we we see his role as Rich Garcia's Garces. I don't know. His name is Rich and Breach. 2007. Yeah, Gary Cole plays a, an FBI agent who's paired with Dennis Haysbert's character in Breach. Um, they're trying to trying to arrest Chris Cooper's character, who is Robert Hansen, based off the famous uh, espionage case in the late 90s. Great movie. Check it out. Speaking of uh, great movies, The Dukes of Hazard: The Beginning, 2007. I'm kidding. Guys, <laughs> we're kidding here. We're kidding. This movie was atrocious. <laughs> I don't even know his role. I thought the one that the Broken Lizards guy did with uh, Johnny Knoxville and Sean William Scott had its funny parts, and mm. this was... Absolutely pathetic. But he was in the Dukes of Hazard universe, so it's important to note, I guess. I guess. And then 08, another classic. We've talked about it previously in the podcast. Pineapple Express plays Ted Jones. Does someone have my bigger knife? Ted Jones. <laughs> Dude, I, I love Pineapple Express. It's He's so, so fucking good. There's man. so many good one liners that like just get slipped in there, and he ha- every scene that he's in, he gets a good one liner that he gets to throw in there random. Yeah, I, I really want to know what they were thinking when it was him and Rosie Perez after they delivered their lines, and they're just standing there, and they they rolled for an extra like ten seconds, and she punches him. And he's like, "Come on." <laughs> Say something in yeah. Spanish. It, yeah. it didn't. It didn't fit at all, and it was clearly it was, uh, not supposed to be in it. And they're like, "That's fucking hilarious. Let's keep that in it." He gives like a, a monologue, like an evil villain, and then it pauses, and then they just like start flirting. Yeah, <laughs> he goes so like, so smile. Yeah, he punches him. He goes, "Come on, say something in Spanish." That was the high end of 2008 because uh, his largest audience gap came out that year as well, and that was his role in Forever Strong. And uh, James, I got to review this movie and let's talk about the difference in the uh, audience gap. The critics gave this a 29. The audience gave it a 75 and the audience almost has like 10,000 reviews. So that is a big difference. Like that's not, you know, five people reviewed it and they all said they liked it. It is a ton of people reviewed it and said they liked it and the critics hated it. And when I saw who the main star of this movie was, I got excited. And the main star of this movie is Sean Ferris, who is of Never Back Down fame. Um, <laughs> I got to watch Never Back Down when we did the uh, Diamond Hansu um, <laughs> podcast. And that movie was so bad, it was actually good. And when I saw Sean Ferris was starring in this and what it was about, I knew immediately where this movie was going to be. And it was going to be so bad, it was going to be good. Um, so I'll give you the quick synopsis. And then you guys can kind of fill in the blanks on what you think is going to happen because you're probably right. A rugby player is put, uh, is put in a juvenile detention center. There he plays uh, for a rugby team that he ultimately played against prior in the championship. And now he's playing for them after going to juvenile detention. 
in the national championship against his old team that is coached by his mean father in which he has a terrible relationship. All that being said, it is like a made-for-TV movie kind of stereotype, and everything that you expect to happen is exactly what happens. So Sean Ferris is Abercrombie model hot, and we are supposed to believe that he's 16 years old, even though he looks like 29 and you know a shredded man. His dad is played by Neil uh, McDonoghue, who always plays like that good asshole kind of hard ass, and he's mm-hmm. the dad slash coach. Uh-huh. And Gary Cole plays the coach of the rival team, who's nothing but do-gooders. And it's based on a true story, so I'm assuming what happened was every stereotypical coach-speak team is bigger than you bullshit cliche mantra this one guy probably did over the course of 30 years and they broke it all down into one film and said look all this happened at the same time and so the quick synopsis is uh there's a guy he's a jerk the jerk does bad things jerks now has got to play by someone else's rules someone else's rules change the jerk the jerk becomes good insert tragedy tragedy affects this jerk makes him totally change now the jerk must play a championship game against the people who are still jerks. Friends become enemies. Enemies become friends. Live, laugh, love. Shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land amongst <laughs> the stars. The real championship isn't the games we won, but the lessons we learned along the way. That is what this movie is. It rocks as long as you turn your brain off and you know it's going to be stupid the whole time. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's every cliche you need. Like The team that he came from, he, you know, they're all getting DUIs and doing drugs and drunk. And then the team that he goes to, like, straight edge, they're planting trees, helping kids with cancer. Everyone gets straight A's in class. Like, it couldn't be more clear. These are the good guys. These are the bad guys. You need to be on our team. And Gary Cole is supposed to be, like, the messiah who's helped coach everyone. He's also supposed to have coach Neil McDonoghue. And that was impossible for me to gauge because Gary Cole looks great for his age. And so, like, unless he was coaching Neil when he was like, five, mm-hmm. I don't understand when that actually happened. But it's an enjoyable movie. If you've ever seen Never Back Down, it is exactly like that, except instead of fighting, now it's rugby. And Gary Cole plays Diamond Hansu. So there's a formula. The rules have changed, but the players are the same. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's a bad boy. He's spitting some guy's face during the game. Oh, he's oh look, the hot chicks are all over him, but him and his dad don't get along. I was like, hell yes. I love where this movie is going. This is so good <laughs> because you know it's bad. Sounds like somebody wanted to mix the OC with Invictus. <laughs> so, exact, so what I said, that's exactly what this is. So my, I looked back at my review on Never Back Down, and I said it was like the OC mixed with Karate Kid. Uh-huh. And I wanted to say almost exactly what you just said. Oh, it's right. just another OC with Invictus. It's, we rule. Hey, there's, a, there's rugby going on here. By the way, look at all these hot people doing bad things. Now they're doing good things. Hell yeah. I'm going to go watch that, man. That sounds great. His last movie in the 2000s uh, is called The Joneses. Joneses. I don't know. You never know how many S's to put at the end. Have you guys seen The Joneses? So, uh, the, the premise of it's kind of cool. Where Pretty this cool, fam- right? Yeah, this family lit. It's a quote, you know, in, in quotes, I'm doing it, but you guys can't see it because I'm an idiot. <laughs> and uh, they're a family, but they're really four salespeople. The family is Demi Moore, David Duchovny, Amber Heard, and Ben Hollingsworth. The kids are trying to get other rich kids to buy shit from them. And Demi, uh, Demi Moore is putting on like 
Tupperware parties or whatever the hell women do. <laughs> they, you know, trying to get people to buy shit. And David and company is getting a new pair of golf clubs all the time. And uh, Gary Cole's like one of the neighbors who like kind of gets caught in the trap. Buddies up. Yeah, his character turns uh, suicidal. Spoiler: he he plays a character who is slowly losing it because he gets caught up in this whole idea of trying to compete with the Coveney's character of having all the things. And what do you know? He can't pay his bills, and you know everything goes downhill from there. Yeah, so. it's it's very similar. Like most people probably remember him, his role from like Entourage. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the exact same. Mm-hmm. A fucking loser. <laughs> 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 Well, and then the 2010 start with one of Warren's favorites. He's Henry O'Hare in Hop, which we talked oh, about man. on the Marsden episode. God damn that movie. <laughs> and then he played Lenny in The Last Rites of Joe May in 2011 in a pretty subtle, understated role as kind of like a mob boss, but maybe not as extreme. Dennis Farina just put in a really good performance in this one. I know we're not talking about Farina, but pretty awesome. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago guy. Yep. Rest in peace. Also, the, uh, one of the stars of Little Big League, just so we're uh, keeping it straight here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, dude. <laughs> and then 2011 as well. He, busy year for him. He's in Vamp U as Arthur Levine, basically a dude who just desperately wants to be a vampire. Um, if, you're, if you're looking for a movie that has the worst fraternity stereotypes in the world, Ugh. this is your movie. This is it. It is awful. It's Sounds so right bad. up Warren's alley. Oh, it's yeah, so man. bad. At one point, this movie was called Dr. Limp Tooth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, They should have kept that name. The main character's name is Wayne Gretzky? Yep. It's ridiculous, (laughs) dude. And he has to play it off like it's not, uh, there's no coincidence there. Yeah, no no relation. Like Michael (laughs) Bolton, no relation. (laughs) So 2012, he's in An Officer and a Murderer, which is a television movie, but he did get some small awards love for that one. So I wanted to point that one out. And after that, um, he starts his character on the show Veep as Kent Davidson, which I think has brought him at least one Emmy nom, if not a few. He got a big award for that, for the ensemble. James, you're a big fan of this, right? Dude, I love Veep. It is so funny. Yeah, it's, it is. If you need something that is about politics that actually doesn't have any political nature in it other than politicking, so, like, you can turn your brain off and just watch office bullshit people roasting each other and not have to worry about, like, a deeper message that's coming at you. That is this show. And mm-hmm. um, his character is hysterical. He plays the uh, campaign manager that is mostly just statistically driven. So he's super dry and doesn't show emotion and is very robotic. And he just helps the vice president with what her polling numbers are. And it makes it funny because it shows like how ruthless politicians are and they don't like give a shit about anything. So like, one of the examples I love is they're talking about what their favorite nat- uh, natural disasters are. And he, he's like, well, statistically speaking, uh, hurricanes <laughs> rank the best. So if we could get a hurricane to hit North Carolina, that would probably help you in the polls the best. <laughs> and then they go like around in a circle and discuss what their favorite ones are. And he's like, well, hurricanes do the best but i think the funniest is definitely sinkholes and everyone's like oh i love a good sinkhole <laughs> definitely the best <laughs> it's a funny show i watched yeah, a few episodes of it the camaraderie between gary cole and the chief of staff who's played by kevin dunn is absolutely hilarious i think mm-hmm. just because they're so opposite because kevin dunn is like loud a straight shooter he's like so super emotional like, 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 right <laughs> to have him paired up with 
with Ken Davidson is hilarious. It's a great show. Fantastic. And Julia yeah, Louis-Dreyfus is timeless. She's timeless. Well. Yeah, yeah, she's timeless. She's amazing. Talented actress. She was almost yeah. the first actress to win Emmy for Best Leading Actress every season that a show was on the air. She missed it by one. Wow. Wow. What, yep. a shitty, what a shitty season that was. Good Lord. Th- thanks, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was the last season. And uh, you're right, though. But uh, what's that show called? Fleabag. Fleabag's hysterical, so I understand. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, can't hate she, on that. She's, she's incredible in that. Yep. Yep. 2014, he's in Tammy as a character named Earl. 2015, um, he's in a movie called The Bronze. He plays a character named Stan, uh, Melissa Rock's dad. But the movie's not really about him as much. I'd never seen this before. It's f- so hilarious. Sebastian Stan is in it. Haley Lou Richardson is in it. It has the most bonkers sex scene of all time. Warren, I know you watched it. it- so that's the only part I watched. It's crazy. <laughs> There's acrobatics and flips and spins. It's it's a whole thing. But Melissa Rock's character is raunchy as hell. It's got a, a lot of really funny one-liners. And if you're into that type of comedy, definitely check it out. And then in 2015, he's in a movie called Divine Access. as Reverend Gold. Guy Roy Davis, who is a preacher who is on cable, like a basically like a public access show, who gets a show taken away by this guy, and then he goes in an absolute rabbit hole of just uh, losing his mind to the point where he's talking to a mini Jesus uh, at the grocery store. So if you're looking for a role from Gary Cole where he just absolutely loses it and gets to just do something really creative and unique, this is the movie. It's not a great movie, but his role is really fascinating. It's a wacky one. Of the many TV shows he's done, he was in a show called Mercy Street as James Green, which is a uh, 2016 PBS Civil War drama. And Laura, I know you had some thoughts on this. wish he would do more things like this because that period look is a good look on him. I think he looks kind of hot as, you know, as a wealthy property, Civil War era, you know, father at this. uh, I thought it's a good look and I'd like to see him do more period pieces. I know he was concerned. It sounded like in interviews he was concerned about the accent. I think he did a nice job. I thought thought this was pretty good for him. A nice change. Yeah, I think I think Warren wants to see him in some more period pieces, too. (laughs) He would love to. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll get into it. And then 2017, uh, our, our final category is Largest Critic App. And I know you've been waiting on this one. It is Small Crimes, which is available on Netflix and Warren has. I have no idea why this is the Largest Critic App. It was a 59% critic, 31% audience. And the movie is like a 10, maybe, out of 100. <laughs> so, yeah. big surprise. <laughs> The main character, don't know how to pronounce his name, but he's the guy who fucks his sister all through <laughs> Game of Thrones. So Nikolai. Jamie Lannister? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he is a guy who gets released from prison after serving. Like, I turned the movie on, and I was like, they missed. They, they, I, like, five minutes into the movie, I was like, they forgot 20 minutes of footage. Like, they, when they were putting this together... <laughs> They forgot a lot of stuff. And they're they're slowly like feeding you this story. And it's just the dude going around trying to put his life kind of back together. But you don't feel anything for anybody in this movie. The guy's mm-hmm. name is Joe. He's a piece of shit. All the other people in the movies are pieces of shit. Yes. They don't even tell you like what part of the country it's in. It's just some 
some weird town. And like Gary Cole is probably the only moderately entertaining person in this. And it's because he's such an asshole and he is so over the top. uh, Like he's a racist. He's like tases him and like is threatening his life because they're in with the mob, which I don't know why the mobs in this back fucking country town, but it's just, the movie doesn't make any sense. It ends in a shootout. Actually, this guy sucks so much. His dad stabs him in the end, stabs him right in the fucking heart. Robert Forster. Yeah. No spoilers. Like save save your, save yourself 90 minutes and don't watch this. Like go watch. I spy. (laughs) i thought his character gary cole was one of the better fleshed out characters you know absolutely there was a you could feel the backstory you could feel you know the relationship between them i thought this was one of his better roles the movie itself i agree was kind of kind of odd it just kept getting worse and worse and worse there was no (laughs) no bright spot uh, I thought Jackie Weaver did a great job, and Robert yeah, Forster. Just was a it was a weird move, and his girlfriend too. Yeah, Mo- Molly Parker was weird. Such an odd character. I struggled to pay attention in this one. I kept I kept veering to my phone constantly because yeah. it was so. If you want to watch a better like noir film written by Macon Blair, go watch Blue Ruin. It's much much better. Um, this is a a huge miss. Dude, it, it could it could be a twenty, and therefore it's twice as bad, twice as good <laughs> as this movie. So, yep. like, it, yeah, this movie this movie wasn't great, and uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. And that's that says a lot from me. Yeah, Gary Cole was the only thing that was entertaining in it, and you could probably watch all his stuff in about two minutes. Twenty eighteen to twenty twenty. The major things we're going to note: he was in Blockers in twenty eighteen as Ron. Sure his dick. <laughs> you know he had to had to check that off the actor bucket mm-hmm. list, huh? Yep. You got given props for that. It's like a good looking dick, nudity, Peter. Nudity alone, he gets bonus points for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nick, take that into the months later. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Um, for reals, <laughs> his character is funny too. Even though it's only like a few minutes, he's the oversexed uber liberal parents i thought it was very funny it's like no we're very comfortable with our relationship we share all our sexual uh, journeys with our son and everyone's like what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> yep. another good comedic role for gary there and then also 2018 he's in under the eiffel tower as a character named gerard and then a couple tv shows to note of from the past couple of years he was in a show called mixed dish as a character named Harrison Jackson. And I note this one, it's a story of a mixed family, mixed race family from the eighties. Uh, he plays this very rich, sarcastic, mildly racist lawyer slash grandfather who doesn't think he can be racist because he has Brown grandchildren. And you can understand why that's uh, very relatable in today's uh, world. And mm-hmm. uh, we probably all know someone like that. You know, I have Brown grandchildren. How could I ever be racist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watch a few episodes of that a lot of, a lot of zingers, uh, he'd come into a scene and you know, and deliver a couple good lines and then back out. It's not a huge part of the show, but enough to to make it um, something substantial. And then the most recent one I have noted here is uh, a show called Room 104, which is available I think on HBO, and it's an anthology series. Basically, follows like all the things that happen in this one hotel room, Room 104. Uh, he plays a TV personality that's kind of similar in some ways to his personality as Cotton from Dodgeball, but the idea is he 
gets conned into there by this woman who's his biggest super fan, and then she just like takes him apart from a like a psychological standpoint. And for what I've seen with Gary Cole, this 24 minute episode I think is some of his best acting ability because his range is all over the place. He goes from like voice acting to very emotional to comedy. It's a, it demanded a lot. Probably his best character arc. I mean, you you see the full range. I agree, Kyle. That brings us to 2020. Um, we didn't name all of his stuff, but what we will do is we'll kind of hit some highlights of TV shows that he's been on over the years. So in terms of recurring characters, so characters where he was in probably at least a full season or at least four or five episodes. These are the types of shows he's been on. If you name a TV show from the past 30 years, there's a probably 60 to 70% chance he's been on it at some point in time. So mm-hmm. recurring, seriously, recurring, he's on American Gothic as a sheriff. He's in Family Guy. He plays multiple characters, but primarily Principal Shepard. I had no idea he did that. I just assumed everything was Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got. he's in over 60 episodes in the the 18 years of Family Guy, so, you know, here and there. Ow. He's the, the main character, I believe, in Harvey Birdman, Attorneys at Law. He is Harvey Birdman JD, which is a really, really creative show, and they basically, he represents old Hanna-Barbera mm. characters in court, and they basically, you know, kind of create these new personas for a bunch of these characters. That sounds awesome. And so it's really funny. Like, uh, Stephen Colbert's in it, but it, kids could go back and watch it now, and it didn't really age all that well because it was very pop culture driven. It's like trying to watch Robot Chicken now. It just doesn't make gotcha. sense. I mentioned Kim Possible earlier. The West Wing, he plays Vice President Bob Russell. He's in seasons five through seven. So a pretty huge role in that show in the later seasons. He's on Desperate Housewives as Wayne Davis. Warren mentioned this earlier. He's on Entourage as Andrew Klein. Mm -hmm. Um, Two things before you guys jump in on this. Watching his episodes, I I realized I made two connections. One, Gal Gadot played the arm candy for uh, Adrian... Grenier's character at one point and it blew I was like holy shit that's Gal Gadot holy hell before she hit the big time and then you know that 50 cent gif where he's like driving and then he laughs at yep. someone as he's driving away yeah, yeah. I had no idea that was from Entourage and I watched that scene I was like oh shit mind blown I, I didn't know until you just said it it's it his, his role in Andrew Klein is he's just he's a loser and uh, he's like one of Ari Gold's like close friends and Ari wants him to be successful but Babs hates him because mm-hmm. he's a loser <laughs> Very similar to uh, his role in that other movie. Oh, uh, the Joneses cheating on his wife with the mm-hmm. one of his with the intern or the, the associate. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. Uh, he's in the Good Wife, which is a pretty big role for him from a career standpoint. Uh, he's in all those seasons, twenty ten to twenty sixteen. He plays Mayor Fred Jones Senior in Scooby Doo Mystery Inc. So he plays Fred's dad. He's in Suits for season three. He plays a wisecracking spot special prosecutor. So more of what we've seen a lot of his career he's in bob's burgers as sergeant bosco he's an archer one of my favorite shows a special agent holly he's scattered throughout seasons five and six tom and jerry show is a narrator he's an Ephesus for family roger dunbar in Ephesus for family he plays a shitty boss which is kind of uh seems like a good go-to for him because of you mm-hmm. know his dry kind of monotone voice he's very good at being mm-hmm. condescending yeah, could you imagine like him in a room with David Koechner and Bill Burr yelling at each other and <laughs> Gary Cole comes off as like the very even keel person? <laughs> That'd be hard. I love that show. He's in The Good Fight, which is a kind of a sequel to The Good Wife. 
and in Chicago Fire as Chief Grissom uh, in season seven. So all in all, he's in 29 different TV shows with recurring appearances over his 30-year career. It's a lot. That pivots to he makes 56 total appearances in other shows throughout his career, whether it's one to maybe three episodes. So we're looking at shows like Fatal Vision, 84, Twilight Zone, Miami Vice, Moonlighting. That was uh, launched Bruce Willis's career. He's in The Outer Limits, Touched by an Angel, so he's got some of the soap background. Frasier, Monk, huge shows in the early 2000s. He did what every actor is supposed to do, go on Law and Order mm-hmm. SVU at some point in time. He's in King of the Hill, Arrested Development as Richard Shaw. He's in the la- it's the I think it's the very last episode. He's an FBI agent over in uh, Iraq. Supernatural, 2007. Psych, 2008. Numbers, 09. Good Guys, 2010. That is one of the shows that I always try to get people to watch. I thought that show was hilarious, and I'm shocked. But it only had one season. I think it was on on a shitty time. It was kind of like why Arrested Development was only on for three seasons, because it was on Fridays, Friday nights on Fox. Oh, yeah. It might have yeah. been at a really shitty time. Chuck, 28 to 2011. He's in True Blood. I watched his episode. He is so corny in that role. That's just how True Blood was, though. Man. Oh, man, dude. It's, <laughs> it's like, so look at cringy. these hot people saying corny things. Just deal with it. The visual effects were so corny that episode. I was like, oh, man, I'm this why I didn't watch this show. Curb Your Enthusiasm. Have you guys ever heard of that show? It seems to no, be a big one. New? Nah. <laughs> I think it's cut. First season comes out in 2021. Oh, cool. Penguins of Madagascar, Royal Pains, 30 Rock. He plays a hilarious, hilarious role in 30 Rock. It's like a Jimmy Buffett thing. Phineas and Ferb. So some of these shows we talked about on the Alice and Janney episode, he's, he's crossed paths with her. Mr. Robinson, speaking of, Craig Robinson's show, 2015. Rick and Morty. Which Best I know we've got some ever. Rick and Morty fans. Yep. He was in Inter- Interdimensional Cable 2. He was an alien doctor. Fantastic. That's so, and you know how I know you're a fan. You know the <laughs> name of the episode. That's <laughs> I, I looked it up. I'm not that big of an <laughs> Yeah. No, you can lie, you can lie to us. It's fine. Angie Tribeca, 2016. The Venture Bros in 2018. He's in one episode of Love, Death, and Robots, which is a show on Netflix. I just want to know. I think the animation of that show is really awesome so if you get a chance check that one out american dad 2019 and then big mouth 2019 as well and there's 30 more the that we didn't mention in big mouth he's pretty funny he plays the very clearly gay characters very clearly homophobic father <laughs> and it is so funny because like clearly gay character pretends to be straight and his dad falls for it every time because he's so Phobic that like he can't even entertain the fact that his son is gay and that's Gary Cole. You know, if I was casting him and I was casting him on type, like what would be a big movie I would have put him in that he wasn't? What a question! I would have put him in The Breakfast Club, playing Principal Vernon. I just oh, feel nice. like I just feel like that he might have he might have done it a little bit better. Sorry, I took us off topic. That's an awesome. That's a great question too. The recast side is always a fascinating question. Yeah. He's so good at the condescending, like, straight edge guy. Like, we know him for his funny one-liners, but I think that's because he's so good at that straight edge yeah. condescension that the one-liners always take you kind of out of it. And then he's in 26 other TV movies, and we're not going to mention them because you can just YouTube them and find them. But one just of his many Forever Strong and will sum them all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, go watch the Brady Bunch in the White House and get everything you really need in your heart. That takes us all the way to the end of uh, his career. That's I think we did a pretty good job covering as much as we could. 
Rigby, do you have some uh, top performances for us? The list I was able to track down, uh, I'm, I'm actually amazed there is a list just because he's been in so much stuff. But yeah. The top the, 85 of right. 200. <laughs> <laughs> the list that I found is from 2011, so we're going to have to subtract our last uh, probably half hour of stuff that we reviewed. But this is from the Houston Press, which bills Ooh. itself as Houston's independent source of local news and culture. And it also happens to be Houston's own Warren Hicks's favorite website. So, <laughs> so this is tough because it's five roles and it's both TVs, movies, and including animated roles. So, oh, um, yeah. So I'll be very surprised if you nail all five right away. What are the numbers? Give us, give us the breakdown. Like one of this, two of this, and two of that. Three movies and two TV shows, and one of them is animated. I'm gonna say Kim Possible. No. No. Office Space. Office Space has to be on there. Office Space is obviously number one because that is just yeah. iconic. Yeah, basically everything before the Joan uh, Hop, I guess, would be 2011. Yes. Pineapple Correct. Express. Pineapple Express. No, that's surprisingly not on there. Wow. Tal- 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 Teledegna. Yeah, that's number yep. four. Uh, Doctor Limptooth. <laughs> <laughs> not Vampire. Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch is two. There you go. How about I Spy? Is Harvey Birdman on there? Harvey is number three. Nice job, nice, Warren. Warren. And so what are we missing? TV show? Five is a TV show. My hint is that it's from the, the mid-90s. Entourage? No, Entourage is later. My bad. Yeah. Bad guess. Housewives? No, that was 2000. American Gothic. American Gothic. Nice job. Yep. Well done. And I've that was only, that was only one season, season, right? I think. <laughs> Lawrence che- Warren's cheating. Yeah, we talked about his connections to other people in Hollywood. I think that was a Sam Raimi show as well, American Gothic. What was the order? It's American Gothic 5, Talladega Nights 4, Harvey Birdman 3, Brady Bunch 2, and Office Space 1. Okay. Good list. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're going to get into the Munson meter. So if you're a first-time listener, the way this works, we rake each actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a number of factors. Those factors include their longevity as an actor, their project choices, pop culture impact, acting range, um, their awards footprint, if they have any other talents, what their personal life is like, what their comedic chops look like, and finally, some of their box office success. So we're going to start with Rigby. I had a fun time doing Gary Cole. I've always found him to be hilarious. When the wheel landed on him, I kind of started to go through his Munson meter um, sort of in my head. And one of the things that struck me was that he doesn't really have any leading roles in I guess Harvey Birdman would probably be the one role that he had for the longest time that he was actually the go-to guy in. Brady Bunch, I guess you could say, but he hasn't really had that role yet where he's the top billing on the movie. I dock him points there, but where he makes up ground is his pop culture impact with Office Space and his longevity and just the grind, man. To do to do these roles and to be cast in that many notable i know we're more of a film podcast but to be cast in that many notable tv shows i think really says something about how respected this guy is in hollywood he's one of those actors that like people might not know his name but when they see him they're like i know that guy he's hilarious like Mm -hmm. i'm glad he's i'm glad i'm watching him right now i'm glad he's in this basically in order to find the fair score for gary cole uh (laughs) i'm gonna give him i'm gonna give him a 77 okay case i echo a lot of what rigby just talked about i I really liked getting ready for this episode and i really liked most of the characters he plays. Um, and then the other thing I've, I've seen a, an interview he was in and, and he just, he loves to act and he loves to work. And, and he acknowledged how lucky he has been to have such a long career 
And that was really refreshing to hear an actor of his status say, you know, I think he has a decent range as an actor and, uh, you know, I enjoy most of his roles. But a lot of times, you know, he's just kind of put into to niche character roles and he, he doesn't have a, a huge character arc like he did in Room 104. You know, I loved him as Lumberg, Reese Bobby and Cotton and Dodgeball. But, you know, a lot of times his character is just more kind of fodder and, and immediate comedy. It's not necessarily pushing the story that much further ahead. I really appreciated the stuff Laura talked about. And, uh, you know, I'm going to add a few points, you know, just because as she was talking and telling us things, I started connecting a lot of dots throughout his career. I think that's valuable because it sounds like people like to work with him and, and directors like to work with him. And, and I think that's really important. However, lack of leading role, you know, doesn't have a huge awards presence and, you know, not necessarily being a household name. So I'm going to give him a 62. Okay. Four. Been acting a long time and with like damn near 200 acting credits. If you take out things where he's like, an extended presence in a show like Stefan Veep and stuff like that. He's still looking at like five or six credits a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to think that he was ramping up for like 10 of those and he really didn't start getting big until like the mid nineties, you're probably looking at more like seven or eight things a year that he's just constantly doing. And he does, he does love what he does. And um, I, I just, I think he's hilarious and like no matter what he's in, I think I'm gonna. I feel like I'm gonna laugh, which is why James, I'm afraid I can't watch your your rugby movie uh, unless unless he's just no hilarious. Laugh. No, he's not. Hilarious. Okay, then yeah, say say something in Spanish. You know, I just I, I need I need him to like just be that funny person because I think he could literally be put into any comedy movie. Like if he popped up and this is the or. Uh, yeah, this is the end with like all the Seth Rogen and all them. He just if he was a guy who popped his head through the, the the wall and got his head chopped off, I would have thought that was hilarious, and he could have pulled it off. Oh, been great. You know, I I think I would love to see him in in just more things. He's incredible with voice work because his his voice is perfect for it, mm-hmm. and there, there's nothing wrong with that. I was surprised going through the list and saying, "Holy shit, he was in." you know 15 seasons of family guy and i'd seen almost every single episode of it but like i said i thought it was all seth mcfarland <laughs> you know it, it is the the awards and all that stuff and he's very on the, the comedic side and you know even when he's in those serious movies like that shit pile that i had to watch he was still the funny <laughs> part of that of that movie and so he wasn't good enough to save that movie, and fucking nobody was. Just getting around to it, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a 66, and it's strictly like comedy and longevity. Laura, our guest Munson, what do you got? Love all his theater credits. I love that. I just feel like he is is an actor's actor. I just feel mm-hmm. I've got the Chicago love for him. I did look at you know your different categories. I would say for longevity, I was in like the 80-ish range. For consistency, I had him in the 70-ish range. Pop culture, 90. Range as an actor, okay, so this is the sticking point for me. I feel like he can do it. I just feel he has the chops. But I feel like maybe he's thinking or his agent is thinking, if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, like, (laughs) and if you are just making a great living, you know, on all these roles and you're chugging it out and churning it out, let's not mess with that. 
that's a that's a good formula for you. But I do think down the road, you know, as is, if his career wanes, that he might try some more outside of the box roles for him, which I think he can handle. I just think either they're not casting him or they're not going for it because they don't want to mess with their formula, mm-hmm. you know, because they've got a good thing going for them. The awards, you know, he did get a lot of nominations for SAG Awards, but he only won the one for Ensemble. So, you know, I, I rated that low. And I do think, again, I like that he was willing to do nudity and, you know, it's it's hard to do nudity on set. And it sounds like he's not the strongest improviser, but he's willing to improvise on set. And I heard, you know, some of the office space stuff was improvised. And so I guess all all in all, I love him. I think he's great at what he does, you know, but again, because of the range and some other people you compare him against. I would probably put him at like a 69.70. So you're feeling a 69 and a half? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> love it. We'll land right in the middle. All right. What I love most about Gary Cole is it just seems like of all the actors we've covered, this is he's our 20th. He just seems like the most relatable. Like he just seems like a normal dude who happens to work in Hollywood and happens to be on every TV show and ever made. And he's just done it in a quiet way. He's built a pretty successful career for himself. I don't think he's in it for the awards. I don't think he, you know, I'm going to give him a big hit there, but I don't think he's seeking his Oscar nom. I don't think that stuff really matters to him based on the interviews that I saw. Like Warren, I think he's an excellent voice actor. He does really good work there. His work is Dr. Possible, Archer, Scooby-Doo, Harvey Birdman. I mean, that that's top-notch at voice acting and the amount of projects he's done balancing all that and seeming like he has his act together i think that's commendable um but i'm going to give him a big hit on the pop culture side and acting range and so my score is going to be a 60 and james round us out you guys have already covered it no reason to beat the dead horse here i think side here mostly just because i haven't seen him in leading roles but he's always the nice little flavor that they add to a a movie that makes it hysterical to me. Um, I love his deadpan delivery, but lack of awards, uh, lack of leading roles, and lack of diversity. But he's been grinding for as long as he has been, and when you guys went through the list of movies, TV shows, and cartoons he's done, it's it's pretty inspiring. Um, But I ended up going a little low, and I went with a 62. All right, Warren, what's the average? It gives Gary Cole a 66.08, which puts him at 13th. He is just behind Rebecca Hall and ahead of Regina Hall. For an actor who has done a lot of work and I assume will continue, Warren, what does he have coming? Doing some more voice work uh, for Batman animated thing. He's doing uh, Commissioner Gordon and I believe Two-Face in the same same bit. Ooh. Very cool. I assume that list will grow as we uh, hit 2021. So. Always. We got five actors we're throwing on the wheel. The next episode is going to be our Halloween-themed episode. So episode 21 is going to bring us all horror actors. So this wasn't a, a list generation. This was us as a, as a group and as a team uh, brainstorming five actors that we thought gave us a wide range of horror experience. So those five are Danny Trejo, Nev Campbell, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Todd, and Bruce Campbell. Who are we excited for? I know we self-generated this list, but you know what do we like or dislike about that list? Danny. 
I would rather I would not do Danny because there's so many fucking movies. <laughs> He's got. You thought you thought uh, Gary Cole had a lot of credits. Danny Trejo's got a. Few. Danny Trejo's like Johnny Three Hundred. Well, okay. Another another fun fact. Danny created a casting group called the Wild Bunch, where he he grabbed all people who looked like they came out of jail, or you know, all the. Oh, nice. the and so in in the casting world, when we needed someone like that, Danny had a whole group. It was awesome. That's really interesting. I remember hearing people talk about him saying he's like the nicest person. And if you ask him to be in a movie, he's like, absolutely. He's never, <laughs> I think he said he's literally never, ever turned down a role. <laughs> That's awesome. He has no ego. There were kids in high school who wrote him like a message and were like, hey, we're filming this and we're going to be in this town is there any chance he could be here? And he was like, oh, I'm actually driving through to go do something. And he was in their like high school project. That's wow. so cool. He was amazing on Muppets now too. I'll just throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> My kids had to watch it. He had a really funny cameo in uh, what we do in the shadows. That's the most recent one I've seen him in. The, the only reason I wouldn't want to do him is just strictly because of the massive filmography. And, uh, I'd actually, I'd actually love to do Bruce Campbell just because. Yeah, he's good. Like that is ex- that is exactly what he does, and I think it would. That would be a fun one. Yeah, he's such a niche, and there are mm-hmm. people. There's a, a huge, crazy group of people who just are absolutely like ape shit over him. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to go back and rewatch those movies. I would love to do Jamie Lee just because Halloween is one of my favorite scary movies, and I. Love Still to talk about up. that, but I watch yeah, every Halloween and Freaky Friday rocks too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nev Campbell's good. We can watch yeah, the screen movies. We're not. Are we just reviewing horror movies? Or are we doing all? <laughs> no, I think we'll focus mostly on horror, but we yeah. won't ignore their other stuff. Gotcha, gotcha. Laura, do you have any? Do you have any insight on Candyman for us with Tony Todd? No, no, I was just an extra, but it was definitely a lot of fun. And uh, I enjoyed working on it. And um, that's a creepy ass movie too. Yeah, yes it is. Dude, I think they made a bunch of them afterwards because it was so cool. And I saw Virginia at the SAG Awards later. We had um, a SAG Awards in Chicago screening, and she was so sweet. She took a picture with me, and we hugged. It was nice. Sweet. That's awesome. We're supposed to have like the new reimagined look at Candyman, and then the you know COVID. Yeah. Son of a bitch, push that so back. So we're just living in the so. cell. Yeah, no kidding. I will say this. There's a 40% chance we're covering a Campbell. No. I can guarantee that oh. much. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but as always, uh, we don't make that decision. You know, the will decides. The will decides. decides. Laura, I have a, uh, have a, role, uh, a rule that any actor or actress that comes on the pod immediately gets my highest score. So when we review you, uh, you will easily be getting a hundred. So I appreciate you joining us. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, that's a perfect transition because this was the part where I get to go, Laura, thank you for joining us. And do you have anything you want to say to the people, the listeners and all that kind of stuff? This has been an, a lot of fun guys. I really appreciate you inviting me on. It's just been a great time. I don't really have any parting thoughts. I'm just excited for your show. It's a lot of fun. And and uh, I look forward to hearing your future episodes. Are you going to let your daughters listen to this episode? <laughs> um, my older ones, not my youngest, not my third grader. Smart, smart. Yeah. <laughs> Two of three. I'll take it. You have a very cool story. Thanks for sharing us yeah. Yeah, your anecdotes. Awesome. That was awesome. You're by far the coolest person that's been on one of the 20 episodes, including oh, I, all of us. Not cool. I say cast included. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Such a cool insight, Laura. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I'm a, I'm a Milton compared to your like <laughs> <laughs> upper management yeah. material. And I hope you guys invite me back sometime. Invite oh, me back. Yeah. It's, it's oh, a lot of fun. We will. You, you've got our word on that one. The next pod is going to hit on October 22nd, as we mentioned. So we'll get be getting spooky up in here with our Halloween-themed episode. And, you know, we'll know here in about a week who the, the wheel has decided. Uh, our featured guest is John Cohorn. Y'all are going to love hearing from this guy. He is a horror movie expert. Um, he's somebody that we met through the CF3 podcast. The guy covers film fe- like horror film festivals. And so he's going to be a real treat on the next episode. So we, again, we will just sit back and learn as John tells us about yeah, the horror he knows, world. He knows the shit. I was just going to say, when we went on that podcast, I was like, this guy's a fucking savant. It's like Rain Man over here just naming all yep. these movies. I mean, he is impressive. I will encourage him to be drinking during it because I think he's even more <laughs> A-game when he's drinking while he's on the pod. So it's it's going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited for it. Kyle, I have a suggestion. Anytime when we have people that know this much like Laura does, let's make them go first on the Munson meters, and then we'll just copy everything they say. Yeah, <laughs> fully agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. Let's I'll go. I'll steal the anecdotes as my own. Be like, well, I actually went to college with as well, and I agree fully with what Laura. <laughs> you can catch us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can follow us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. If you got ideas for collaboration, thoughts for actors we should cover, and you want to have a stiff conversation with the wheel so it produces what you want can't guarantee much there but you know i guess it can't hurt from a probability standpoint any final thoughts from the munson's yeah um i'm gonna have to go ahead and sort of disagree with you there yeah munson's out all right let's go Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?